Welcome to Real Good Company, a show about real people building good companies that make a big impact. We go behind the scenes to get the good, the bad, and the ugly. So you can become a better leader and gain fresh wisdom for both your personal and professional life. I'm your host, Allison Trebridge. And I'm your host, Caitlin Crosby-Benward. And you're in In Real Real Good Good Company. Company. (laughs) Well, on this week's episode, I am thrilled to have Julia Lipton on the podcast. She is the founder of Awesome People Ventures. So she is a venture capitalist, a VC, investing in startups. And she's also the founder of Awesome People List, which is a really great kind of keeps a a beat on the startup investor community and an email I read every week. I've just loved getting to know her. Caitlin, what did you think about this interview? What I loved about this, especially for us and our the people that we have on, is a lot of people that we have had on and that we that our listeners are going to be discovering a lot of founders. But I think it was really interesting for us and for our listeners to be able to hear the kind of behind the scenes person that can make a founder's dream come true. You know, even having Sarah Doubledam from Darling Magazine on this last week, you know, and she is and has been trying to find people like Julia to support her dream. So I think for people that listen to this, that want to understand next steps for them if they want to start something, just kind of getting the behind the scenes, like into the mind of an investor. Totally. It's going to be really helpful for them. I know. I always love getting the investor's perspective and also as somebody who's helped grow and scale successful startups and actually one really colossal failure, which I didn't know about, which you guys will hear about. It was neat to get a perspective from an investor who's actually been in the trenches and and doing it and building the companies. I also just loved her perspective on how we can think about this kind of moment in history and this new recession that we're in because of COVID-19. I actually found it really encouraging to get her insights on kind of where we can go from here. And even if we think about like the 2008 recession produced such huge innovations like Airbnb and Uber and some of the kind of companies that are so essential to our life today, I mean, those came out of a recession and a need for innovation. And that makes me hopeful for what is to come in the next couple of years. Yeah. And I love the statistic that she shared about people being happier and healthier when they're able to work remotely. Oh, yeah. This was pre-COVID data. And I think it's interesting that you know, now with so many companies, obviously, well, all of them working from home, I'm wondering and I'm curious what companies, even when the mandate is lifted, when non-essential businesses can't go back to work, how many companies are going to implement or keep the people or, or allow their employees and their team members to continue to work from home if they so choose, just because it will make them happier and healthier and more productive and all the things. So... That was that was interesting. Yeah, such a good point. And I should say something I've been so moved by recently is that Julia has created a kind of listserv of people who have been laid off because of COVID-19. And it's a place where if a company is hiring, they can go there to find incredible talent. So if any of our listeners have gone through a layoff or are on the opposite side and needing to hire, she just has some incredible resources that she's put together and kind of some different ways of thinking about looking for a new job, even in the midst of of this crazy time. Yeah. Well, here you go, everybody. Enjoy. My interview with Julia Lipton. 
Julia, thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh. I am so thrilled. I now subscribe to your email list and I got one of your awesome people lists the other day and just thought this is this is the exact sort of person we need to feature on the podcast. So I'm so grateful to have you on board and just love what you're doing in the in the venture space and the entrepreneurial space. So thank you for being here. Uh, thank you for having me. And I'm so happy to be able to to share on the newsletter and to be able to share here. So I want to kick off with just a little bit of of your story for our listeners. Can you, can you give us just a little bit of background around how you got going in the startup space and kind of what your your early work was? Yeah, so I started doing startups actually when I was still in college. So I was going to college in LA and I'd fly back and forth between LA and San Francisco every week. Uh, to work at my first startup as we were launching. So I'd go to school Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then I'd fly up to the Bay Area and work Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And that first startup was a company called Quixie, which turned out to be a pretty epic failure. Oh, no. That's not what I thought you were going to say. <laughs> no, 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 no. We went from three people to 200 when, when I was there. It went on to be oh about 500 and at one point was valued at over a billion dollars before it came crashing down. Whoa. Wow. Wait. Okay. Wait. Just... <laughs> insane. Why did it, why did it come crashing down? We never had product market fit. Like we never had product market fit in the scale that we needed to justify that valuation. It was a B2B search company. Okay. And to have a profitable search business, you just need to be massive if your revenue is ad supported. Wow. So that's like a whole nother story, but I ran marketing there. And so I learned a lot about needing to build a company where you have real product market fit and it can't just be strong marketing. You really have to build mm. something that users know and love mm. or customers know and love where the unit economics work. And so that was the first company. And then about midway through the lifetime of that company, I left after three and a half years and I got really burnt out and decided I only wanted to work on things that were making people meaningfully happier and healthier. Mm. So that's when I joined Rise, which did nutrition coaching. Okay. And there I ran revenue. And after we hit about a million dollar ARR, we got bought by One Medical where I built their telemedicine practice, which now in the COVID era is amazing. And oh that's my gosh, telemedicine. Yeah, yeah it, it's so cool to see it be able to meaningfully support the operations of our in-person care teams and to move wow. more non-essential care from offline onto online. And then also to see some of the regulation that's changed in that space really quickly around being able to provide care across state lines. Hopefully that's a change that sticks because it'll meaningfully help telemedicine companies moving forward. Wow. After One Medical, I took a bit of a sabbatical and classic stereotypical Silicon Valley fashion. (laughs) As one does. Yeah, as one does. And then I did all the other more stereotypical things, which is focus on wellness, do yoga teacher training, like Amazing. literally cliche. Amazing. I love it. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> and but during that time, we used, used a lot of that time to explore trends in wellness all around the world. Mm. Also to explore startups in different communities and less popular U.S. ecosystems like in Detroit and Pittsburgh and also uh, digital nomading, remote work, the freelance economy, some of these things that we talk about a lot in venture as trends. I really immersed myself in and started living. 
And from that, I started advising companies and consulting as, as a job and not spun into angel investing and angel investing eventually turned into what is now Awesome People Ventures the Fund. Okay. So I love that you made that jump. First of all, just to see a young woman in the venture space leading a VC is, I think, so inspiring. What was it like launching that, getting that off the ground? At one point, did you say, I'm going to actually start a fund? Yeah. So it's interesting. I'd been angel investing and I've been sharing deals with a lot of fellow investors. And actually, it was one of those mysteries that encouraged me to start a fund. Oh, wow. And I thought he was crazy. I, I remember being like, who is going to invest in a new fund manager that, you know, hasn't made tons of angel investments that's female, like who's going to back that fund? That's crazy. And he was like, I think you're going to be really good at this. I've seen the way that you think. I think you can do it. I'll be your first LP. Wow. And I was like, you're crazy. Like, are you kidding? <laughs> and he was like, no, I'm not kidding. And I kid you not. He screenshots me no. trying to Apple pay me. No, like a considerable amount of money, which obviously you can't do the Apple Pay. But I was like, oh, my, oh my gosh, are you serious? He's like, hey, I am. And then he texts another one of our friends on a text thread and says, hey, you hear Julia starting a fund. I'm going to be your first LP. Are you in? No. And and that person was like, of course I'm in. <gasps> and and literally that was how the fund got started. Oh my goodness. Because uh, I was like, if these guys are serious, I'm going to run with it. Like I wow. literally called. Yeah. I run my fund on the back of Angelus and I literally called Angelus the next day and was like, I don't know if these people are serious or not, but like, let's set this up ASAP so we can wire the money. Oh my gosh. (laughs) That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of how it started. And to be honest, I've always wanted to start a fund, but I thought it was something that I was going to do when I was 40 or 50. And I still think that I, right now the fund's a small micro fund. I think I will build a much larger fund because I'm really passionate about deploying more of the world's capital towards businesses that make the world happier and healthier. Mm. And that's both because I think we need more businesses that are focused on improving people's well-being, and because those are big market opportunities. I think there's going to be a lot of the next generation's billion-dollar businesses that meaningfully improve people's well-being because the biggest challenges of our time are everything from the climate crisis to loneliness, depression, anxiety, to healthcare and wellness. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Tell me about the name. Yeah. So the name started because I was originally working on this thing called Awesome People List, which I'm still working on, which is around helping more solopreneurs and more freelancers and consultants build their business Mm. and helping match awesome people with other awesome people. So I had this theory, which I still believe, which is one way to really improve people's well-being is to enable them to work for themselves. This is a bit of a tangent, but it'll get back to your question. <laughs> we um, love tangents. <laughs> and so one of the things that I discovered during my sabbatical was this: all these consultants and freelancers that were really living their best lives, working from the beach in Thailand or wherever they might be and in control of their own financial freedom and independence. And this was a part of the economy that I wasn't really familiar with before I took sabbatical. And so I was really impressed by all these people who had had the guts to leave their full-time jobs and become consultants and freelancers and were doing quite well on their own accord. And so I just became obsessed with helping more people 
do this. So anyone who wanted to quit their job and be their own boss, I just became obsessed with helping them find work so they could make their dreams a reality. Mm. So that's how I started the awesome people list. And then I had the awesome people list. And so then I was trying to figure out what to call the fund. And I was like, well, what if I just call that awesome people ventures? <laughs> and some of my friends were like, you're joking, right? And I was like, it's kind of funny, but like, I love I, it. I, I love it. So yeah. it was a friend who had connected us and, and he's like, oh my gosh, you have to meet Julie at awesome people ventures. And the second he said the name of your fund, I was like, I am in, I have no idea who yeah. this person is or what it like, this is the sort of fund I want to know. So totally. I love it. I love it. Totally. Totally. I love it. I mean, there's a couple different fun taglines, but at the core, we really just help awesome people do awesome things. And so if good. all I do for my whole life is just to help awesome people do awesome things, like that's a win. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and and say more about the thesis. So so you've talked about improving people's lives and well-being. What does that look like for you? What is the I, I think every VC has kind of a a thesis from which they run their fund and they apply that to the investments they look at. What is, what does that look like for you? For starters, I'm pretty focused on wellness and work. Wellness is really straightforward. It is mind, body, spirit, planet, anything that falls into those categories, which is, which is broad. I tend to look at things that are not super, super technical. I have done a couple biotech companies. In those cases, I usually know the founders really well. Mm. So it's really a founder bet, but it, it can be broad. So I have a women's multivitamin company that's made out of all real food. So instead of it being a pill, it's like one delicious chewable bite. Mm. I have a package-free food company that is zero waste. Everything comes in glass jars and those glass jars get returned and reused. I have a company that's focused on glucose and helping people with metabolic fitness. So there's a lot of fun stuff in the wellness bucket. And I think people understand, you know, why that's world positive and why that's important. I think the work bucket is, is really interesting because one of the things that was really clear after working at Rise and One Medical is most of the nation's chronic conditions. And when I say chronic conditions, and or epidemics. I mean, everything from obesity to depression, to loneliness, to anxiety. And a lot of those challenges stem from things that happen outside of the healthcare system. Mm. And they happen because of people's day-to-day. They happen because of people's lifestyle. Mm. But the number one and two causes of stress pre-COVID-19 were work and money. Wow. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And so then I was like, this is crazy. Like work is not working for us. Yeah. Um, What are things that you can do that meaningfully improve people's well-being in relation to work? And so I'm really interested in how can we help people earn money and support their families while living a life that's still worth living. Mm. And so there are three main trends that I look at in that category. One is remote work because remote workers, again, this is pre-COVID-19, remote workers tend to be happier than non-remote workers. If you compare two people in the same job, on-site workers versus remote workers, 71% of remote workers report being happy versus only 55% of on-site. Wow. I had never heard that statistic. That's fascinating. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 99% of people say that they want at least the option to work remotely some of the time. Yeah. So people want that flexibility and it makes sense. The three main reasons cited, which all resonate for me since I work remotely as well, are freedom and flexibility, no commute. The average American spends about an hour commuting Mm. each day and then increased productivity when you don't have the water cooler talk or the boss looking over your shoulder. Yeah. And so there's lots of benefits and that's not even talking about the ability to potentially pick where you want to live. The ability to take your kids to school if you have a family or the ability to get midday workout in or work from the beach if that's what's important to you. So that's the first trend. And then the second is investing in things that increase solopreneurship. So that could be things that support the creator and passion economy or things that support the freelancer or the consultant. And in that first bucket, the people that are participating in the passion economy or the influencer, how do those people make money? Mm, and what's yeah. so cool, and what's so cool about that bucket is we now have all these new platforms that enable people to monetize in ways that a few years ago saying you were a podcaster and being able to live off a podcast, like that would have sounded kind of crazy. Right, right, totally. It's such a thing. Or I think it was a writer from the Rolling Stone just quit Rolling Stone and decided to launch a Substack. Like being an email newsletter writer was not a job. Wow. And these new platforms are quite literally putting people into business, which is super, super exciting. And so that's kind of some of the stuff on the passion economy influencer side of things that I'm interested in. And then on the freelancer consulting side, Consulting is a $1.4 trillion industry that to most people still feels like a black box. Yeah. And so how do we help more people who want to be their own boss and be their own free agent, run their own small businesses? So good. And so that's, yeah, that's, that's in the second. And then the third is no code tools. Hmm. And no code tools are amazing because they enable people to become tech entrepreneurs with no technical skills. Hmm. And so I like those because they reduce the barrier to entrepreneurship. And so that's a little bit of an overview on the thesis. So I I love hearing all of that because I, I feel like, one, I think it's just fascinating to see the trends that you're seeing, like as a, as a VC, you live at the, the macro view and you're trying to see not only what's happening now, but where are we going and where are we moving towards? And interestingly enough, I think a lot of these kind of focus areas or trends that you're spending time investing in are also really critical to be thinking about right now during the COVID-19 crisis. And so would love just to, to kind of shift the conversation to this current moment that we're in and the shifts that you're starting to see happen and how you're responding as a VC as you, as you watch everything. Yeah. So obviously this is terrible. Like COVID-19 is is not good. A lot of people have lost their jobs. A lot more people are going to lose their jobs. A lot of people are sick. A lot of people have died. Like all these things are 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 bad. Like it's it's a hard time for people and it's a hard time for the country. On the startup side, it's also hit our ecosystem. There's going to be a lot of companies that aren't going to be able to raise their next round. A lot of companies have already gone through massive layoffs. But there is a little bit of a silver lining as well, which is there are companies that are booming that 
may not have done as well in a pre-COVID-19 era. You have people all of a sudden doing really interesting things on everything from food delivery to telemedicine to mental well-being to online gatherings to remote work tools. And all of these companies are experiencing massive growth because they're needed now more than ever. Yeah. And I think we're in the beginning of a shift that was inevitable. Hmm. And we were already, we aren't kind of on this trajectory, but this really forces every business to think about what does their business look like online. Yeah. How does this compare to the kind of previous recessions that we've gone through? Yeah. So I think we were talking about this a little bit earlier before the podcast. And it's it's interesting. I was talking with some fellow VCs about this this morning. If we compare this to the 2001 recession and 2008 recession, a lot of things are quite different. So in the 2001 recession, the capital markets mostly halted. Companies weren't IPOing. A lot of funds stopped applying capital. It was pretty bad. 2008 was interesting because, as we know, many of our favorite companies were started in that downturn. Right. And 2007 was the iPhone. So while there was a recession, we had this massive technological shift, which was the smartphone and mobile apps where all these new companies were possible because all of a sudden we had an amazing computer in our pocket. So that meant new social tools could be created and then games. It meant all these new categories of products, which didn't exist before in our, in our pockets. And what that also did was forced larger companies to figure out how to go digital mobile first. The the joke was kind of social, local, mobile. Right. Right. And every company had to figure that out, which then started a slew of acquisitions and exits because these larger companies were buying these smaller companies because Mm. they had to figure out this new shift. And I think it's possible that this downturn will have a lot of overlap with 2008 because now every company needs to figure out how to go online. Mm. And every company needs to figure out what does their relationship look like with the consumer? Does that mean they're now have a D to C relationship? Does that mean they find new distribution? What does that look like? And similarly, how do companies operationalize to be fully remote? There's already this massive trend towards remote work tools. I invest in this trend. Many of my peers do. But it went from being a nice to have to a must have. Right. And so I think the combination of those factors presents massive opportunity for a subset of startups. So I think it's quite possible that we ended up with a really bifurcated recession where a lot of companies do terribly and a lot of companies go out of business. Uh, But on the flip side, there will be companies that are just booming Hmm. because they're needed now more than ever. Wow. What are you seeing for, let's look for a second at the companies that are struggling right now. What are you seeing happen? What are you seeing, you know, where are you seeing the layoffs? What advice do you have for leaders of these companies that are in industries that are getting hit so hard, like travel and events and things that revolve solely around in-person? So first of all, my heart goes out to those founders. I mean, this is this is really, really hard. When you're an entrepreneur, you sign up for uncertainty and you sign up for a bumpy ride and you sign up to try to do the impossible. 
I don't think many founders imagined this. Yeah. I don't think, I mean, who in the world could have ever imagined this? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And this is probably orders of magnitude harder than any sort of worst case scenario planning that they had. Yeah. And so in the startup community, I actually have two companies like this in my portfolio where their business model is just not viable. I mean, we're talking like revenue zero. Yeah. And it's been amazing to watch these founders be nimble and come up with what's their next act. And if you still have cash in the bank, you still have time. You basically just have to pretend like you are a day one founder, right? Literally, yeah. Yeah, whole new business model. Totally. But if you still have a million or you still have two million in the bank, that's more than most entrepreneurs start their companies. Right. And so I've been really impressed with the founders in my portfolio, how fast they've been to scenario plan Mm. and to basically spin up new businesses. And I think that's the best anyone can try to do right now is just try to stay nimble and pivot and be default alive and figure out how does your business either move online if it was offline, for example, in events. Um, There's a company called that was literally called in real life. That's now, I think they're now calling themselves in remote life. Oh my right? gosh, that's amazing. That's yeah, incredible. and they're all around in-person live events and calendaring. And now they're doing that for online remote events. And so some of these companies have been really, really nimble and really innovative. Some companies are in a much, much harder spot. Like if you're in commercial real estate, it's really hard for those companies to pivot quickly. Right, right. And a lot of those companies are the ones that we're seeing have to do mass layoffs. And I've been running this awesome people list to try and capture all of the people that are getting laid off. And it was interesting. Like the first week, it was all the travel companies. Mm. The second week, it was a lot of the transportation companies. The third week, it was more hospitality and real estate companies. And by now, it's, it's pretty much everyone that's mm. just trying to get their burn and cash flow in order, unless you're in the category of companies that are booming and you can't hire fast right. enough, like the remote work tools or some of the, the food logistics companies that have turned into people's primary grocer overnight. Yeah. The health and wellness companies, a lot of those are doing really well right now too. What would be your advice for someone who has just been laid off? One, like rooting for you. Yeah. <laughs> like this, is, this is definitely tough. I would be really mindful about where you're looking. Obviously, there's a lot more supply than demand out there, meaning there's a lot more talent than there are jobs. But where there are jobs, looking really carefully to make sure if if you're fortunate enough where you can pick where you work and you have more than one option, thinking about the company you're joining, almost like an investor would think about it. Hmm, I love Uh, that. Say more on that. Yeah, like some companies will do really well in this economic climate. Yeah. Some companies will boom in this this economic climate and you'd rather be working for one of those that's going to be than that's going to be at high risk. Like there's certain companies right now that are experiencing a big bump that might not have that same bump in a post of a 19 world. And in which case those companies are going to be at risk. When their competition comes back online. Right, right. right? And there's other companies that are just going to continue to grow 
they're gangbusters. And so as someone who's looking for a job, I would think pretty critically, does this company, what does this company look like today? And what do I think this company is going to look like post COVID-19 and try to pick the one that you think is going to continue to grow? Mm, So good. Let's talk as well about the kind of venture capital environment right now. How are you seeing investors respond to this crisis? And do you think VC money will continue to move? Do you think everything will be on ice for a while? What What are you seeing there? I think it really depends. So the larger funds, their first priority is to shore up their existing portfolio companies. So a lot of those folks, especially the larger funds, are spending a lot of time with the existing portfolio companies to make sure that those companies stay alive. Yeah. Because if you have $50 million in a company, yeah. you want to make sure that company stays alive. So a lot more VC time going into portfolio management and supporting portfolio founders than sourcing deals. That doesn't mean that they aren't looking for deals, but it does mean that they're potentially spending less time and deploying less capital. The other side of that is funds still have money that they have to deploy. Right, it's right. their job to deploy capital on certain time horizons. So I don't think the markets are going to totally dry up, especially all of the new seed funds that have recently raised. If you're a new founder, those are new funds that don't have existing portfolio companies to support. Mm. So they their primary job is still deploying capital. That said, the climate has really changed. The valuations are coming down and the types of fundable businesses have have changed because they need to be businesses that will survive in this climate. Yeah. And potentially to default alive, meaning profitable, not need more funding. Mm. Because no one right now really knows what's going to happen in 6, 18, 27 months. And so given that it used to be that you could raise money and you'd raise money in order to be able to raise your next round. And then you'd raise that round in order to be able to raise your next round. And right, in the middle, right. you were getting milestones to be right. able to raise. But founders can't necessarily make that assumption that they will be able to raise because it could get much harder. Mm. And so that is meaningfully changing the valuations. It's meaningfully changing the types of companies that get funded and the level of thought that founders need when they go out to raise to like really have a plan to how are they going to stay alive and weather the storm. Mm. because VCs aren't going to necessarily bail them out. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. makes sense. What What is giving you hope right now in, in the midst of this like super challenging bleak time? What What's giving you hope? Honestly, it's all the founders out there that are mm. looking at this and they're saying like, okay, now is the time to let's make all healthcare online and accessible remotely. Let's figure out how to make our supply chains more efficient so we can reroute things in times of need, depending on plan A, B, and C. Let's figure out how to bring community online and how do we make sure people can still stay in touch with their loved ones. And there's all of these amazing 
products and companies that are being started because people are at home with time on their hands to create cool things and try and help. And the best companies are designed to solve real problems. And the world knows right now we have a lot of problems. So there's a lot of opportunity to build cool things to help. And I think we'll emerge more strong. I think we'll emerge more resilient. And a lot of the reasons for that will be because of the amazing products that entrepreneurs will create. Mm. And they'll also build better businesses because they'll be forced to. Right, right. Forced efficiencies, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I'm actually, in some sort of like perverse way, pretty optimistic. I think it's going to hurt it's going to hurt. It's going to be painful. Like we're talking about unemployment levels of the great depression. Like that is, that is not good. We're death tolls, like greater than wars. You know, like this is, this is objectively not good, but the optimist in me says, okay, a lot of people are going to fix a lot of things and they're going to fix a lot of things faster than we would have otherwise. We've known that mental well-being is a massive challenge. We know that loneliness is the number one, one of the top challenges with remote work. We know we've known all these things for a while and now they're necessities. Mm. So there's some of the top founders are working on some of these really pressing problems that may not have felt as attractive a few, a few weeks ago. Yeah. And, and I love what you said earlier about it's entrepreneurship is problem solving. And we, anytime that problems are exacerbated, I think the flip side is an opportunity for more entrepreneurial innovation and and new ventures to to solve for those new problems. Totally. Totally. And I think we might see a rise in the new Main Street, like the new Main Street businesses, the old Main Street businesses, like the retail shop or the restaurant or the hair salon, like all those businesses right now Many of them are boarded up and many will go bankrupt. Not good, but it also will give rise to this new generation of new Main Street entrepreneurs, which are happening online. And these might be those solo entrepreneurs that we were talking about earlier or those that group of friends that's rallying behind no code tools to launch something online. Like It's quite possible that we'll have a new breed of tons of small businesses that operate online that didn't exist before yeah. that help pull us out of this. Yeah. Main street could become main sites, like websites. Totally. <laughs> totally. Uh, well, before we go, can you, can you just give us a quick rundown on awesome people list and where people can, can find it to stay up with you and, and what they'll get when they sign up for it? Yeah. So Awesome People List, we feature one solopreneur and freelancer every week that's sharing their advice for tech founders and other VCs. So this could be a designer giving design advice, a data expert giving data advice, and people can subscribe to hear from them and from our expert. We have a new person that we feature every week at awesomepeoplelist.substack.com. And it's fun. It's light. People say that the emails are both informative, mm-hmm. but also make them smile every week. I can attest to that. That's my yes. secret goal. I yeah. always <laughs> smile every single one, every single one. And I want to mm-hmm. add to, I, I love you've created a, a list or kind of a, a database in Google Sheets of anyone who has been laid off recently because of COVID-19. And there are hundreds of people 
on that list. So I'd also encourage anyone who's either uh, lost a job recently or is in the fortunate position of looking to to hire and wanting to to grab some of this incredible talent that's now available for for either either vantage point to to sign up for awesome people list and you can have access to that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And if people want access to that list, it's a long Google URL. So that would be annoying for me to read here, but you can just email me <laughs> at um, julia at awesomepeoplelist.com and I can send you the link. Or I think it's pinned on the top of my Twitter, which is just at Julia Lipton. So you can find it in either of those places. Amazing. Well, Julia, thank you so much for coming on with us. And thank you for all that you're doing for the the venture and, and startup space right now. We really appreciate your voice. Yeah, thank you for having me and curating all these great voices on your show. Thank you guys for joining this episode of Real Good Company, a show about real people building good companies that make a big impact. Music from this episode is probably from... One of Caitlin's old demos. <laughs> Megan Schwindling was our producer. And thank you guys so much for joining. And always remember to stay in real, real good, good company. company.